Hello, I'm really honored and delighted to have been invited to be part of this Eucharistic retreat, Sowing Hope in Broken Hearts. My name is Mother Claire Matias. I'm a member of the Franciscan Sisters of the Renewal. We are a Franciscan community founded in the South Bronx in 1988. And our community is, first of all, rooted in prayer, like all religious communities are. And our life is a Eucharistic, uh, a Eucharistic prayer life rooted in the heart of the church and a Marian one as well, even though our Lady's name is not in our title, Franciscans of the Renewal. We definitely consider ourselves a Marian and a Eucharistic community. We were founded to live among and to serve the very poor and to evangelize. So I'm speaking to you from East Harlem, where I live at Our Lady Queen of Angels Convent, uh, right nestled in the projects of East Harlem so that we can live among those in need and serve them. And so that's a little bit about our community, but I'm here today to speak with you about the Eucharist. And it's a great honor to do so because as I mentioned, our life is very much a Eucharistic life. And I wanna share with you a little bit about the rhythm of our day to begin with and how the Eucharist is so central uh, to our way of life. So as sisters, you know, we live in a convent and a convent is, is a place that's designated by who lives there. And Jesus in the Eucharist lives in our dwelling. We have a chapel in every convent. And we, we um, so what makes a convent? Jesus' Eucharistic presence, the presence of sisters, and actually according to canon law, the presence of a superior, one who, um, who's able to receive the obedience of the other sisters. But we get the, the privilege of living with our Lord Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And we gather there in the chapel to pray five times a day. So I won't go through our minute by minute schedule with you, but suffice it to say that our day begins with a substantial amount of prayer in the morning, including an hour of meditation and the Holy Mass. And our day ends, or at least the evening part of our day, is a Eucharistic Holy Hour. Every day at five o'clock we gather again in the chapel for a Eucharistic adoration for one hour. Now there are other times of prayer throughout the day as well, and we end with rosary and night prayer. But those, the meditation hour and the mass in the morning and the Eucharistic holy hour in the evening are like the bookends of our day and the Eucharist being kind of the book and the bulwark and the, and the strength and foundation uh, of our day. So it's very much a Eucharistic life and we bring our desires and our needs and our concerns to the Lord in, in the morning in the offering of the Mass. And at the end of the day, we come back to Him to receive His consolation, His peace, His encouragement uh, at the end of the day. A little description of a Eucharistic life, but you might ask, why? You know, why do they live this way? You know, why? And that could be a whole nother talk for a whole nother time. But essentially the Eucharistic aspect of our life, why is the Eucharist the golden thread through our day? Why do we center our lives around him? Why is he literally the center of our convent and spiritually and emotionally and intellectually and in every way, you know, the center, the, the anchor, the foundation, the root um, uh, for which and in which we live? It's a great question. You could also ask though, why does God live this way? Why does God choose to leap down from heaven to be with us in this simple, 
hidden form of bread. This is a greater mystery. Why does God remain silent and motionless in, in a flat, white, Eucharistic host captured in the tabernacles of the world? Why? Why does God choose the Eucharistic life? Well, why did he come in the first place? Why did the second person of the Holy Trinity leap down from heaven um, to come into the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary incarnate for us? Well, the key is in those two words, for us. You know, God loving us, looking down upon humanity so lost, so lost and forsaken. Um, he, he took such great pity on us. He said, I will come and be with them. I will come and be with them. And that's what he did. And we know that's the meaning of Christmas. That's the meaning of the incarnation. That's the meaning of those 33 uh, precious years of our Lord's life on earth. God's love for us manifested in the incarnation. I must be with them. But if it weren't for the Eucharist, that chapter would have closed in the year 33 AD. If it weren't for the Eucharist, it would be over. It would be history. It would be past tense. The, the incarnation would be past tense. But because of the Eucharist, the incarnation quite literally lives on with us. The, the incarnation lives on with us in the Eucharist. So the question really is why does God choose a Eucharistic life? Because for God so loved the world, the most favored and favorite scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he gave us the Eucharist. So God came among us and he remains among us um, in, in the Eucharist. And it's his compassion it's his mercy, it's his boundless love. And he, he comes for those who ask the question, you know, where is God? You know, where is he? And we could bring that person to a place, to every Catholic church in the world, we can bring them to the tabernacle. Where is God? Here is God. Where are the answers to my question? Here are the answers to your questions. Where's consolation to come from? Where's peace? Here here at the tabernacle, here at the Eucharist, here at the Mass. Jesus remains with us to become the answer to our questions, to become the consolation amidst our trials and, and our sufferings. He comes for those who are lost. He comes for those who are sick. He comes for those who are lonely, for those who are poor, for all who suffer. He comes for, for you and for, for me. He came to be available, you know, to be fully available to us, um, to listen, you know, to receive us and to answer our prayers. So he is yearning for you and for me to visit him, to, to come to him on location, in person, in the flesh, in real life, uh, to come to him. And you're experiencing this retreat through a computer. And the amazing thing is you can experience God in, in reality, in his body, in his blood, in his soul, in his divinity, in person, in every Catholic church, in the whole world. And he is yearning for you to do this, to, 
to come to him often uh, in mass. He's available there for you to receive him and for me to receive him in every Sunday mass. And actually every day at mass, there are masses happening probably in your parish every day. And if we think about the whole world, there are masses happening at every moment Jesus is being offered up to the Father again. Now I say that he's yearning for you to return. How can I say that with such confidence? Jesus is yearning for you. Can I speak on his behalf? Well, might be bold to speak on his behalf, except for I got it from the Bible, from his own word. He reveals to us his yearning, his great desire, um, his his passion, which is for you and for me. And I'll just share with you three scriptures that reveal the heart of God, that reveal the yearning of Jesus for you to come to him in the Eucharist. The first one being John, uh, Luke, excuse me, Luke 22, 15. And this is right before the Last Supper. And Jesus says to his apostles, I have earnestly desired to celebrate this Passover with you. I have earnestly desired it. Now you know at the Last Supper, he gave them his body and his blood, and at every Mass, we're at that Last Supper again. And this is his earnest desire to give the gift of himself in the Eucharist to you and to me in Holy Communion. Luke 10, 42 is another very familiar story, event, uh, captured in the scriptures. When Jesus went to his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he went to their home. And Martha, as you remember, is busy preparing and making the meal and tidying up and making everything right. And Mary was sitting there at Jesus' feet, and she left all the work to her sister. And that's a conversation for another time as well. But she's sitting at Jesus' feet, and at Martha's complaint, Jesus says those beautiful words, you know, about Mary's decision to stay with him, to be with him, to sit at his feet. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part. Mary has chosen the one thing necessary. He is that one thing. He is the one thing necessary. And so he reveals in that moment, in that story, the desire of his own heart, which wasn't for the dinner as much as it was for Mary's love, her attention, her, her listening ear, her, her captive spirit. And that's what he's looking for in you. He's thirsting for your attention, uh, for your love, for your captive spirit. From Matthew 26, 29, uh, this is this is our Lord's passion. This is the beginning of the passion, and our Lord is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is where it all begins. And he is he is experiencing um, in himself exactly what is what is coming and what is being asked of him, and what the what the Father's um, request of him truly is, and what it is going to demand. And we remember that moment when he when he's sweating blood. And he asks that the cup could pass from him. But ultimately, he says, not my will, your will be done. This is, this is, we're coming to the climax of the gospel. And this is the only time Jesus really makes an earnest request of his apostles. And he says, stay with me, you know, stay with me. And then he later admonishes them, as we all know, you could not remain awake with me for one hour. 
We get to experience our Lord's heart in that scripture, his yearning to be surrounded by his friends, to have his loved ones close to him in his suffering. So this is how, to, how do I know that Jesus yearns for you to come to him in the tabernacle, to come to him in the Eucharist? Because he said so. He said so, and he begs us, he begs us to come. Why? Because he wants our love, but he wants you to be lavished with his love. And that's what he's offering you in the Eucharist, his love and his very self. In the Eucharist, we have an opportunity for more than just a personal relationship with the Lord. Yes, yes, we should have and do have, and I hope you have, a personal relationship with the Lord because he's present with us. He's within us because of our baptism, dwelling within us. And I can go to my inner room and to be with him in secret. I can open the word of God and be with him present in his word. When two or more gather in his name, we know that he is present there. But in the Eucharist, the Eucharist which comes to us at every mass, when a priest, an ordained priest, takes the bread and the wine, and by the power of his ordination and by the power of God, that bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be with him in those ways, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the fullness of his physical, divine person. So this is an extremely unique and precious way to be with God. And so therefore, with the Eucharist, with receiving him in communion, we have the opportunity for more than a personal relationship. We have an opportunity for the most intimate communion with God, communion, oneness, transformation, identification, something much more than, um, than a relationship, much deeper. We have the opportunity to be with the source of our creation, the source of our belovedness. We have the opportunity to be with the one um, who is the answer to our every question and the one who is the light to illuminate our darkness. And many of us have, we will have darkness. We will have chapters, we will have moments, we will have seasons of darkness and sorrow and grief in our lives and no one will be exempt from that. But we have a place to go and we have a person to whom we can go, a person for whom even darkness is not dark. As the Psalm says, even darkness is light for you. In the Eucharist, we experience God, as I said already, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and yet in a hidden manner. Jesus is hidden in a very mysterious way in a flat white host. He is hidden in the bread. And you might be curious about God's choice to hide himself in this manner. But it's not difficult to understand. Just imagine if he had not chosen to hide himself. What if he came upon the altar in his majesty and in his resurrected glory and in his power as he will come at the end of the age? I don't know how many people would be in church. You know, the terror that that would put in us. It might, it might drive us to the confession lines, which wouldn't be a bad thing. But if, if he did not hide his glory, we would hide from his majesty. And so in an invitation for us to come out of hiding, Jesus hides his glory. You see, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they hid from the Lord. They hid in their fear. They hid because of their sinfulness. 
And ever since that first hiding of Adam and Eve, he's been trying to coax us forth from our hiding place. And in the Eucharist, he comes so hidden and so humble so that we will come out of hiding to see him and to adore him. I'd like to close with a scripture that uh, is an invitation because our Lord invites us and he invites us to this profound uh, intimacy and I'll, I'll let his words uh, be, be the end. This is from John 15, verse 4. Abide in me. Abide in me as I abide in you. No branch can produce fruit in itself unless it remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Our Lord invites you to come to him in the Eucharist and not just to come and leave again, but to come and to remain. May Jesus Christ be praised now and forever.